you're listening to my podcast. I'm Aaron Beam. I've actually given over a thousand speeches. I've written two books concerning ethics. Another way for me to get my ethics message out there is via podcasting. Each podcast will have a little bit different message about ethics. I'll have different speakers come in and uh, professors and people that I've met while I've been speaking about ethics, and they'll join in on some of the podcasts. Many of the podcasts will just be me, but I will have a lot of guests. I hope you enjoy my podcast. Let's get started with today's podcast. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Aaron Bean. I have a very special guest today. Uh, I think when I tell you what she does, you'll understand why. First off, she's a lawyer. Second, she's a judge. She's also an author. She's also co-writes or ghost writes for other authors. She's a writing consultant. And she's a stand-up comedian. And on top of all of that, she has three children one of which is her husband. So with that introduction, uh, Laurie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, I thought uh, today we'd just try to have fun. Most of my podcasts include some ethical message, and certainly if you can slip in an ethical message here or there, maybe some experience from your uh, lawyering or being a judge. But... um, with you being a stand-up comedian and all of those things, I thought we'd just try to have fun today. I think it is ethical to have fun. How about that? <laughs> we'll start there. <laughs> uh, well, we are, court is strange now. You know, this is, we are thick in the middle of Corona apocalypse, of course. <laughs> and so we are, my court is all virtual now. We are having it uh, by Zoom which is kind really? of, yes, it's a strange, different experience. So nobody's in the courtroom with you? No clients, no uh, uh, no lawyers, nothing? No, no we're, all, we're all in our own space. Wow. All is, it, is that kind of typical now, or is it, or are you pretty unique in that aspect? Well, I, I can't speak for anybody else. Uh, In Georgia, which is where I'm located, uh, the Supreme Court, the the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Harold Melton, uh, has made a point of encouraging us to have court virtually. And the theory is that you can choose to go to a restaurant, you can choose to go bowling or choose to go to the movies, but you don't choose to go to court. You're told to go to court. It's a command appearance. And it's um, a completely different issue when you are commanded to be in a closed room with people you don't live with and potentially people who have the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're trying not to expose people against their will to a potentially deadly disease. So if we can avoid it, we're avoiding it. And the best way to do that is to have court uh, by video conference where we can do it. My court is, uh, I'm a municipal court judge. Okay. 
So it's mostly traffic court. It's um, minor misdemeanors like criminal trespass, disorderly conduct, shoplifting, that sort of thing, and municipal ordinances like uh, you know dogs barking, zoning ordinances, that sort of thing. So you know it, it's not a lot of people get let out of the room in handcuffs, so we don't need to worry about that <laughs> as much as superior court might. So it's it's a lot easier for us to have virtual court yeah. than some other courts. You know, I've always thought of judges as really powerful people. Uh, I mean, you have in your court, in you are powerful. you are top dog. You are you are the law. Um, I don't know, kind of like Judge Judy. She uh, she will call somebody down in a nanosecond if she thinks they're misbehaving and. Uh, generally speaking, any experiences I've had with trials or anything, the judge is, is highly respected and they're in charge more more so than any other type of setting. Does it does it ever go to your head that you're a judge and you're all powerful or is it <laughs> am I overstating the issue a little? Oh, you know, they call it robitis for a reason. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> It is really easy to get caught up in that, and I try really hard not to. Uh, it helps that I'm only a judge on Thursdays, so I only have power on Thursdays. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's really, I can see how you get caught up in that. I remember the very first time I felt that rush of power. I, it was you know, many years ago, and um it doesn't matter the circumstance, but there was a woman in court who was angry and she was yelling. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of people yelling at me and just, you know, when in my life will I just not have to deal with this anymore? And then this light bulb went off over my head and I thought, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this. For the first time in my life, I don't have to deal with this. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, if you don't stop yelling at me right now, I'm going to have this officer take yeah. you out of the room in handcuffs. Yeah. And she just kept on going. And I looked at the, the officer and I just said, deputy. And that's all I said. I just said, deputy. And he took her out of the room in handcuffs. And I felt 20 feet tall. <laughs> and I thought, man, I can get used to this. <laughs> yell at me again. Go ahead, yell at me again. <laughs> um, but, you know, I brought her back in in an hour, and she was much meeker. <laughs> um, but you have to be really careful when you have that kind of power. Yeah. Because yeah. it's... It, it would be a scary thing to be used to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet. Uh, I watched some of your videos, uh, particularly about uh, being a lawyer, and uh, I found it kind of interesting. You were talking about the uh, Georgia pit bull lawyer. No. And, uh, <laughs> in Alabama here, we have a guy called the Alabama Hammer, and uh, he's he, – got these outrageous ads where he says, I'll fight for you. I'll put down the hammer. And, you know, he's just crazy like that. Uh, That's all of that kind of behavior and the aggressive advertising by lawyers is something new. I mean, when 
I'm 76 years old. So when I was growing up, lawyers didn't advertise at all. And uh, go down the freeways these days, seems like every third billboard at, le- billboard at least is a lawyer advertising. Um, have you, is that something that came in vogue since you, you got licensed as a lawyer? And do you advertise? Do, is there a big billboard of you in, in Atlanta that <laughs> says I'm the Georgia uh, snapping poodle or something? <laughs> No, there isn't. There was a billboard of me once uh, when I was running for office in 2012, and it was awful. There's nothing quite like driving down the road and seeing a 20-foot U looming over your car. Oh, it's horrible. (laughs) And then people recognize your face because you're just there staring at them as they drive to work every day. And then you check out at the grocery store and people go, where do I know you from? Well, I stare at you on your commute every day. That's where you know me from. But um, no, I... I don't advertise. Uh, I'm at, thankfully at the point of my career where uh, word of mouth is enough. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm more trying to wind it down now than mm-hmm. ramp it up. I, maybe it's just me, but I, I don't think I personally would ever hire a lawyer if they were a big advertiser. I'm I'm not sure exactly why, but I just don't think I would. Well. <laughs> You know, I just have a lot of issue with, you know, and obviously they work or people wouldn't keep doing it. No, and no, they work. And I, I guess it's more about name recognition than anything else. But I don't know. I just can't imagine going, getting in an auto accident and thinking, well, gosh, you know, that, that guy on the billboard seemed on the up and up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it must work. I don't know. Yeah. What do I know? Yeah. I think most people, I know when I had to hire a criminal a lawyer, when I got in trouble at HealthSouth, and actually, as you may know, I did a little prison time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked around, uh, word of mouth, uh, people I knew that were prominent business people, whatever, who was a good criminal attorney in Mobile, Alabama. And Donald Bressman uh, kept being mentioned. And uh, I made my decision on that. You know, not not some billboard advertisement. And uh, as it turned out, he's a pretty good lawyer because I was involved in one of the largest corporate frauds in the history of the United States. And I only did three months in prison. So um, he charged me a lot of money. And I remember being in prison and complaining to some other inmates that my lawyer charged me so much money. And uh they said, "Heck, you had a you were only doing thirty months. <laughs> you didn't overpay <laughs> him." <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's that's my thing on that. How how did you you be, I know how you become a lawyer, a judge. You just it's some it's an office you run for, right? You decide you want to be a judge and you run for it, or are you appointed? My position is appointed. Okay, um, and. Like every other appointed position on the planet, it's who you know. Okay, okay. And and you only do it once a week. My yeah, we we have court on Thursdays, so okay. On okay. Thursdays, you have to call me your honor, but on Fridays, I'm Lori. All right. 
Lori Duff on Fridays. I'm Judge Duff on Thursdays. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, ghost riding, how, how does that come about? Ghost riding, I like ghost riding. Um, where I seem to have found my niche, and I, I can't, I can't really say the specific books that I've done because by definition, it's ghostly. You're ghost, yeah. Um, but there's, there's a whole category of folks who are experts in their field and who have a whole lot of information that they want out there, but mm-hmm. they, they don't, they're not writers. Not writers. They don't know how to organize it or how to, to speak it or really how to translate it into English. Um, and so they, they have the, you know, just stacks and stacks of, of research or, um, a lot of videos that they've done or blog posts that they've written, um, and they give them to me and I organize them into a book. Sometimes they just have a bunch of random ideas, um, and I have to do some of the research on them. I really enjoy doing it because I learn so much and I'm just kind of an inherently curious person. And by the end, I feel like I'm sort of an expert also because I've just typed a 250 page book on whatever the subject is. And then I've done the background research and I, I know a whole lot about it because I have just written a book on a subject that Prior to starting, I knew nothing about most of the time. And that's, it's just fascinating to me to try and get in the head, the head of the author. And it's an interesting creative exercise to try and sound like them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's easy to sound like me. It's hard not to sound like me and to, to try and think, okay, well, this is how I would say it, but how, how would they say it? And I'm phrase it because it can't sound like me. These are not my books. These are their babies. And it doesn't matter if I agree. There, I've written some books that I think are just pure, unadulterated horse hockey. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, I, as I'm writing it, I'm thinking, oh, good Lord, I can't believe I'm unleashing this on the world. You know, this oh, <laughs> should not be there. But, you know, but, you know, who's to say I'm right? Yeah. Maybe they're right. You know, everybody has a different perspective, and maybe they're right. Uh, just because I disagree doesn't mean, mean it's true. So when these people start selling this book, um, I, I would assume most of them don't get a publisher, but they, they sell it somehow. Uh, they hold themselves out as the author. They don't say ghostwritten by, do they? No. They, so they, it, they hold themselves out as the author. Yeah. That's a little unethical right there. You know what I mean? In, yeah. in my mind, you know, if I'm reading a book and I'm thinking it's this person and it's not, you know, and I don't know. I think well, I'd rather have them tell me it was ghost written by somebody. Help me, help me write it. Uh, I had a ghost help me write it. <laughs> yeah, and some of them will acknowledge me as having helped them write it and some will not and as far as I'm concerned that's you know I've kind of wrestled with that some myself Mm -hmm. and I figure it's not my problem 
you know, I have yeah, sold them yeah, the product. Yeah. The product I have sold them is this book. I have told them I don't want any credit for it. I don't need or expect any credit for it. So you can do with it what you will. If they give me some, great. That means that I have uh, free advertisement for my business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if they don't, then they don't. Um, the way I have justified it in my head ethically, uh, which may or may not be legitimate, <laughs> is, <laughs> is that it is 100% their information. You know, mm -hmm. this, you know, it is not my ideas. It is not my information. It is not my baby. Mm -hmm. I am more or less a translator. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I'm a translator of their ideas, that I am just giving their ideas shape and form, not creating them. And that is how I justify it if someone asks me that question. Sure. But I figure it's not on me because I'm not doing anything I've ever said that I was going to do or not do. Yeah. I'm, I'm clear. I'm on the front end. I'm saying this is what I'm doing. And whether they put it out saying it's something else, that's on them. Okay. Um, I would guess then that you you just charge a fee for doing this, which y'all agree to up front. And would yeah. you ever take part of the proceeds from the sale of the book or – it's probably not worth the trouble of hassling with that, is it? I don't do that. I mean, I guess I might if they had a publisher lined up. Okay, yeah, yeah. There was, you could save some real money. Right, but I have never been in that position before. Um, generally speaking, I would just rather be done with it when I'm done with it. Yeah, yeah. It's I cleaner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, like in my law law practice, I'd rather not take something on a contingency. I'd rather just be paid and be done. Be done with it. Okay, good. How did you get into stand-up comedy? And uh, two-part question, uh, what was it like the first night you went out there in front of the people? I mean, that's I do public speaking, but I have a – speech to give, you know? Stand-up comedy to me would really be a lot tougher. Well, you actually saw, I sent you the video of the first oh, time I did Which one was that? That was the one, um, the one from the Earl oh, Bombay. Yeah, yeah. That was your first time? That was my wow. first time. Um, it, it was something that I had thought about doing rather often. Um, and at the Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop, which is something that I've gone to several times, which um, if anyone listening is an aspiring writer, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that workshop. Uh, it is, this year, it's not that hard to get to because it's being done virtually. It's at the end of October. Um, and so the the there's not really a limit to the number of attendees, but normally it sells out within about four or five hours. And those in the know know when it is 
the tickets go on sale and you just obsessively refresh your computer because it crashes every wow. year and you have to just refresh, 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 refresh um, so that you can get your ticket. Um, it's like the golden ticket in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, but they have every year a stand-up uh, night where the participants get to do that. And I, I don't know if you know who Wendy Liebman is, but she's a stand-up comedian who has been on all the late night shows going back to Johnny Carson. Oh, okay. I've probably heard. Um, and she, she will coach you and she will, she hosts it. And uh, so 10 people, the way it's historically been done is 10 people are picked ahead of time. And then two people get picked out of a hat the day of, and I was one of the two that got picked out of a hat the day of. So I had about, I don't know, I guess about five hours to put together an act. (laughs) (laughs) And I had some stuff I've been kind of messing around, you know, little one-liners that I've been using. And at that workshop, nearly everybody that goes is just funny. Mm-hmm. That's the theme. And so I had a lot of people to bounce things off of. And then I spent the next five hours just going crazy, <laughs> trying to put this thing together. And what you saw was the end result. Yeah. It was good. It was very good. So have, have you done a, a, did you do something pretty much on a regular basis on the, in the stand-up, comedy thing or is it kind of been hit and miss um it's sort of hit and miss i ended up i i host or mc the the an open mic night once a okay. month which has kind of sort of fallen by the wayside because of corona apocalypse yeah everything yeah. yeah um but hopefully we'll get that started again um but locally I've been doing that at the local arts center. We've had, uh, and I've been kind of practicing my technique there and trying to do it there, but I've really only done it locally. It's something that takes a lot of effort and a lot of marketing and I just haven't had the time to do it properly, but it is something I'm interested in doing and I would like to do one day when I have a little more time. So you have two children? Two or three, depending on how you count. Yeah, yeah, your husband counts as a child. Is he really the most high maintenance, or are you just, that's just a comic line? He really is. (laughs) I think he would admit to that. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. Uh, What does he do for a living, if I might ask? He is a professional couch sitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he is <laughs> he is a retired police officer he was uh, he once upon a time and and people who know him now find this very hard to believe but there was a time when I thought he was so cool I couldn't believe he was talking to me mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but he used to be the police helicopter pilot for DeKalb County which is oh, wow. part of Atlanta yeah yeah, that sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. 
Like that was super cool. It's like one step below fighter pilot or astronaut. Yeah. And then now he sits on my sofa and plays games on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> Does he watch the Kardashians during the day or? He's no. Not, not that bad. Huh? So <laughs> he can't find the remote most of the time, so he can't get the TV on. <laughs> oh man. Um what's life like in Atlanta now? Because I'm we keep coming back to the virus. Are all the restaurants suffering as bad as every place else? Because there's a lot of great restaurants in Atlanta. Um uh, well I don't live in Atlanta proper. Um okay. I live about 45 minutes east of Atlanta. Okay. And where I am People are just kind of going about their business for the most part. Yeah. So it hadn't impacted the restaurants that much there? I don't think so. I mm. don't know. I, I have not been going out that much. DoorDash is my new best buddy. You did? Now, now uh, I'm from Louisiana. My wife's from New Orleans. And uh, at the height of the epidemic in New Orleans or pandemic in New Orleans, uh, French Quarter, uh, the rats became a terrible problem because normally when the restaurants would empty their trash into the dumpsters every night, so rats would feed. And Hmm. when the restaurants all shut down, the rats began to roam the streets of the French Quarter. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally just you can see them running around. They're looking for food because their food source is gone. And I don't know if they've gotten that straightened out or not, but I think that picture of that, because uh, I love the French Quarter, I love New Orleans, but just seeing it totally infested with rats, but it does make you think that those rats were always there if they were just being well fed in those dumpsters, <laughs> so they stayed out of sight. <laughs> there's there's a joke in there somewhere about the rats now being having to resort to uh well, you know, flashing to get beads and stuff. Yeah, there is a joke in there. <laughs> I haven't quite worked it out. No, there. I can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've often thought I could be a funny man, but in, I, in my speeches when I speak to students and professional groups, I, I have little funny lines I have, uh, one of which you might appreciate uh, when I met with my attorney, and asked him, you know, how everything was going to go, and we were wrapping up, and I said, did you, you need a check for a retainer? And I actually say this in my speech. I said, do you need a check for a retainer? And he says, yes. And he said, make the check for $100,000. And I said, I hope you're kidding. And that kind of made him mad. He said, no. So as I was filling out the check, uh, I asked him, I said, can I get a T-shirt or something? And he actually gave me a coffee mug. <laughs> and the coffee mug is one of the slides in my presentation. Uh, I, I don't think, have you had any $100,000 check writing clients? Not clients themselves, but yeah. I have had personal injury settlements. Okay. Oh, yeah. Digits in the, yeah. You know, it's taken me a lot of time to embrace all the different things that I do. Um, 
I recently turned 50 and something in me just kind of snapped when I turned 50 (laughs) in a good way, in a good way, because I was one of those overachieving kids that got A's on everything and always turned in homework three days early just to piss off everybody else in the class. And, um, you know, so my parents gave me two choices. They said, you can go to law school or you can go to med school. And I never really considered that I had any other options. And I didn't want to go to med school. So I went to law school and maybe that was the right thing. Maybe that's something I would have chosen on my own anyway, but I don't know that. Um, And for the longest time, I was a lawyer, um, but I like to write, you know, but I, I do this because it's fun. And it's taken me a long time to be a writer who also practices law. Mm. Um, And when I turned 50, it was easy for me to kind of turn that on my head, turn that around. And now I'm more a writer who practices law some to pay the bills. Uh, it's it's more the other way around um, because that's more fun. And I feel like, okay, I'm done. I paid my dues and now I get to do the fun stuff as long as I have something to finance it. And, you know, I, I will always hear my parents' voice in my head. Well, you know, you paid all that money for that education. You worked so hard. Why aren't you using it? Well, I'm using it. You know, I'm, people still have to stand up when I walk in a room one day a week and that's not going to change. And I will always, you know, the critical thinking skills that I learned from being a lawyer for so many years, I've been a lawyer since 1994. That's that's a long time. That's long enough to do anything. People are allowed to have two careers. People are allowed to, to be whatever they want to be, but I'm more than just what I went to school for. I'm a whole human being with a whole depth to her. And, you know, I am me with all the facets to me. I am not defined by what I went to school for, for three years. And so, you know, it's, you meet somebody in a bar or a restaurant or whatever, and one of the first things you say is, what do you do? As if that has any meaning for who you are as a human being. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just sort of a placeholder we have because we don't know what else to say when we meet somebody. And, you know, it used to be an easy answer. You know, what do you do? I'm a lawyer. Now people say, what do you do? I'm like, well... I don't know. What day is it? Is it seven o'clock? You know, one of the hardest things that I do is figuring out what to do when. And it's only really just recently that I have learned that because I want to is a good enough reason to do something. Uh, I spend 
so much of my time doing stuff because I feel like I have to. Um, and I do have to do a lot of things. I have obligations for my clients. There, there are deadlines. When you're a lawyer, when you have four days to do something, when you've got to get something in in 72 hours, you got to get something done in 72 hours. Because if you get it done in 73 hours, someone might go to jail. I, I mean, the, there are real things at stake. Um, hundreds of thousands of dollars might be on the line. You, you've got to get it done on time. Uh, so deadlines are, are very meaningful to me. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've got teenagers. My, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier now that they're older. My son is a freshman at Rice now, and it's at Rice University. Wow, that's impressive in itself. Yeah, I'm so Rice proud of him. Rice is a very, very prestigious school. It is. I'm not going to downplay that achievement at all. I am so proud of him. Yeah. Uh, so he's there. I, I feel like, okay, whew, one down. <laughs> got one to go. Um, so, you know, I've only got one in the house and she's, she's a good kid. You know, she's, she's kind of self-sufficient sort of at the moment. So I just really have my oldest kid to deal with my husband. <laughs> You know, he's potty trained, so there's that. I'm like everybody else, you know, just trying to figure out when to do it. I It helps that I really don't like sitting around and doing nothing. I get edgy just sitting and doing nothing. I can't do it. I'm not good at it. I always have to be doing something. I don't really watch much TV. I don't. I just don't. If I'm sitting and watching TV, I'm doing something else like knitting, knitting or crocheting or something just because I have to be doing something productive has to be coming out of my time or I feel agitated, which is probably a flaw. But there it is. Mm. I don't know. I think that's really to be admired. The fact that you, you feel the need to be doing something productive. Uh, I'm kind of puzzled by people that can just sit all day and do nothing. I mean, that's that. I don't know how you do that. I, I'm I'm a little bit like you. I gotta be doing something, or I start feeling guilty about myself. So uh, I don't know that it's bad. It's it's a curse, and but it's a good characteristic also. People ask me how I get stuff done, and I'm just like, how do you not? I don't. And what are you doing with your time? I don't understand. <laughs> exactly. I have this kind of weird blend of insecurity and overconfidence in that I am convinced that nobody really likes me and nobody cares what I think. And therefore... I don't care what they think. And so I'm just going to plow right ahead and say whatever I want because it doesn't matter. They're not going to like me anyway. So I'm just going to go ahead and have a great time. And <laughs> I'm just in it to entertain myself. Um, and so I just kind of plow forward. My mom was... 
I, I, I always kind of referred to her as a tank. Like she, she just kind of rolled through and said whatever she wanted to say whenever she, she wanted to say it and didn't much care. And when she passed away, I, I was kind of asking my kids to just say something about her. Um, she, she passed with kind of recently in April. So it was during Corona apocalypse and we couldn't really have a funeral because of all this. And I just wanted to do something to memorialize her. And so I was asking my kids to say something in tribute. And my daughter said, grandma taught me that you can be a lot and still have people love you because everyone loved her, but she was a lot. And I feel like that is sort of my style that, you know, I'm a lot. Some people just can't, they don't know what to do with me because I'm a lot. I'm likely to say things that make people go, what? But, <laughs> you know, that's just me. Um, uh, so, you know, the way you get through this world, I don't know how people survive without a sense of humor. I have absolutely no idea. It is the only thing that gets me through the day. Uh, if you can't laugh about stuff, I mean, there's just so much tragedy in this world. Life is hard. It's just hard and tough. And if you can't laugh at it, I don't know how you aren't just sitting under a desk and crying and sucking your thumb and rocking. I mean, it's just hard. So finding the funny in things is just a survival mechanism. And you know, I don't know why more people just aren't looking for something to laugh at in everything. And things are funny, you know, and things happen all the time. I and mean, when I'm sitting on the bench and something funny happens, I'm going to laugh at it. And more than once, someone in court has just made me throw back my head and laugh. And more than once, I've knocked dollars off of somebody's fine because they just made me laugh that hard. And... <laughs> And that's probably not something I'm supposed to do, but I don't care. <laughs> you know, if you can take this long, dramatic calendar and make everyone in the room laugh, you know, you've done your community service and, you know, what's 50 bucks here and there? I don't know. <laughs> no, Laurie, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, that day I met with my lawyer, I mean, my wife was in tears. I was in tears. He was explaining I would go to prison. And when he told him I had to pay him that $100,000 and just off the top of my head, I said, can I get a T-shirt? You know, I mean, that's, that, that's the kind of sense of humor I have. I mean, who would think to ask for a T-shirt when they're in a situation right. like that? You know, so what the heck? He laughed. He, he, he thought it was funny. We still laugh about it, you know. So, anyway. <laughs> you got to find the levity. you got to find it, or you're just going to get sucked into that pit of despair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very conscious of ethics in everything that I do. I have the kind of day job that people make TV shows about. You know, I'm a judge. I'm a lawyer. And there are judge shows and there are lawyer shows. And I guess, you know, to me, I've been doing it so long and it's just such a grind that 
I think, oh my gosh, who could possibly want to hear about this? It's just the daily in and out drama, blah, 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 blah. But people must want to hear about it because there's been 8 million seasons of law and order and all that. So it, it must be interesting to people who don't do it day in and day out. And how many courtroom shows are there on day te- daytime TV? So if it's not your job, it's, it must be interesting. Um, so I know people want me to talk about it, but I can't talk about it because it's not a story. It's not something for people's entertainment. It's people's lives. You know, it's not just a case that I had that was entertaining. It was somebody's real life divorce or somebody's real life potential jail scenario. And it's not, doesn't exist for, for someone else's entertainment. And even though sometimes it really is funny or it really does make for a good story, I don't feel like I can take it and spin it into a cocktail party story. And so I, even though there, it is rich for material in writing and comedy, I draw that line bright and clear. I do not talk about it. I just don't. I won't. I don't want anyone who's in my office or anyone who's in my courtroom to think that they're going to show up in one of my blogs or one of my stories or on the stage. It's just, no, just absolutely not. It's not there. When I first talked to you about doing this podcast, I asked, can you tell us some funny stories about things that have happened in your courtroom? And you immediately says, no, (laughs) I I don't do that. I'm not going to, that's just not professional. I'm not going to do it. So. Uh, you, you certainly are living up to what you told me. So I was a little disappointed. I thought you would have some real funny stories, but. Uh, I do. And you can, you can always watch my court if you want to. It's, it's, <laughs> the virtual court is broadcast on Thursdays on the oh, city okay. of Loganville, Georgia. The city of Loganville, Georgia has a YouTube channel and you can just go to YouTube and you search it, the city of Loganville, Georgia. And on Thursday mornings at 930, you can watch our court. Do you have people that just sit in the courtroom some days just to see court because it is entertaining? Mm -hmm. We do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think my father told me that. When I write, I am what's known in the writing world as a pantser, which means I have no method. I just fly by the seat of my pants. I just, I, I have so little time to do anything. I have no time for sustained concentration on anything. So, what I do is catch as catch can. So I just have little snippets of time that I do anything. So I sit down and do what I can when I do it. So I just sit and I do what I can and I do it. And that's what I do. Generally, um, I write in the shower and when I'm driving and you know, at two o'clock in the morning when I wake up and just kind of stare at the ceiling. And so by the time that I sit down at the computer to type it, it's already written and I'm just transcribing. Um, I type very quickly. I type about a hundred words a minute. Wow. Um, And 
that I have to say is my most useful skill. It's probably more useful than my law degree. And that helps because I can, I can just write literally write faster than a lot of people. I can just get it down on paper fast, (laughs) which is, is really, really helpful. Um, So I, I, I've got it written. I'll try out lines. I try out lines on on Twitter a lot of times. Um, If I have a line that I think is funny, I'll try it out. Um, I don't know. I try out ideas. Sometimes I'll try out ideas on Facebook. Um, I'll ask a question on Facebook and see what kind of response I get to see if the idea has traction. Um, some of my best blog posts have come just from conversations with friends and then I almost transcribe the conversation. <laughs> I just have funny friends. I have no method whatsoever. I am not a helpful coach. But with the with the more serious things, when I like when I, my ghostwriting stuff is just the same way I'd write a term paper. I'm just I'm fairly disciplined. You just sit down and you do the research and then you start at the beginning and you work till you get to the end. I'm very linear when it comes to that sort of thing. Do you, how do people find you? And I'm, before we leave tonight, I want you to uh, tell people how they can hire you as a comedian, a ghostwriter, an author, or a lawyer. I want to line all those things up so you get something out of this podcast. Sure. Well, the best way to get me always is email me, Lori at LoriDuffWrites.com. Well, Lori, thank you very much. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. And if you want to hear more of my podcast, uh, you can find them at Aaron Beam Speaks. I do have a website. Uh, AaronBean.net and if you'd like for me to speak to your company or to your organization uh, there's information about how to book me AaronBean.net and once again the social media uh, link in to me is AaronBean Speaks thank you very much